0: Tonight's talk is about mindfulness of the body. I'd like to start with a quote uh, from Pema Chodron. This body that we have, this very body that's sitting here right now in this room, this very body that perhaps aches, and this mind that we have at this very moment are exactly what we need to be fully human, fully awake, and fully alive. Furthermore, the emotions that we have right now, the negativity and the positivity are what we actually need. It's just as if we had looked around to find out what would be the greatest wealth that we could possibly possess in order to lead a decent, good, completely fulfilling, energetic, inspired life and found it right here. Well, that's a relief. <laughs> we don't tend to think of um, happiness and peace in these terms that uh, this body just as it is, this mind heart just as it is, are what we really need. We live a lot in, a, in an if-only mentality. So it's like if only uh, my body didn't hurt, I'd be happy. If only I had the perfect job, I'd be happy. If only I had the perfect partner, I'd be happy. If only I could get my fear to go away, I'd be happy. <coughs> and when we live in this kind of mentality around happiness, it's always some future goal. It's forever out of reach. Because even if we get one of our if-onlys, we usually wind up um, coming up with another one. (laughs) And sometimes life um, may go well for a while. It may go um, as we wish. We may have a rather blessed life. And it seems like this strategy of, of kind of creating life to be like we want it to be, like our preferences are, it seems sometimes that it works. I think that's why we fall for it. There's this illusion that this strategy works. But at the very least, this strategy leaves us restless. If only, if only. So the Buddha's teachings are about finding happiness here and now, not some future goal finding peace or liberation with our experience just as it is. Now, this isn't to say that it's not, um, it's not worth uh, trying to make some conditions good in our life. It's not to say that we shouldn't expend some energy in finding a good job or a good partner or or, um, taking care of our health. Um, But we still uh, only have this life as it manifests right here and right now in this moment. And what are we going to do about that? So we practice happiness, peace, and freedom with the raw material of our body and our mind heart as it is right here, right now, sitting here in this room. One of the most well-known sutras of the Buddha is the Satipatthana Sutra, or the Four Foundations of Mindfulness. And in this sutra, the Buddha talks about uh, what we need to pay attention to and how we would pay attention to it in order to understand how we can find peace and happiness right here right now with whatever is happening and So these four foundations are the first one is the body the second one is It's called feeling tone. It's our first impression of whether an experience is pleasant unpleasant or neutral The third one is the mind. And the fourth one is mind-objects, kind of the ways we look at the world uh, through the mind. So the first one, the first one is the body. And it's actually the longest. I looked today to check. It's the longest section of the four. And the Buddha goes into fairly great detail about how we can uh, understand, investigate, connect with the body. Seems like it might be a little bit important if it's the longest one and also the first one. So the first section of this uh, foundation of the body is connecting with the breath. And it starts out easy just connecting with knowing whether we're breathing a short breath or a long breath. So kind of a general um, getting in the neighborhood of the breath and then uh, more detail with uh, connecting with the full body of the breath, uh, the whole experience of the breath, one of our anchors that we've talked about here. And then the second section is about connecting with posture. So connecting with whether we're sitting or lying down, standing, or walking, the four classical postures. So we know when we're sitting that we're sitting. We know when we're walking, we're walking. We know when we're standing, we're standing. The third section is on. It's called full awareness. So it's awareness during all the uh, different um, activities we undertake during a day. And I'm just going to read it to you so you can see it's rather comprehensive. He says, again, bhikkhus. Bhikkhus uh, technically are monks, but I like to think of it as um, all of us who are practicing meditation. So again, bhikkhus. A bhikkhu is one who acts in full awareness when going forward and returning. Who acts in full awareness when looking ahead and looking away? Who acts in full awareness when flexing and extending his limbs? Who acts in full awareness when wearing his robes and carrying his outer robe and bowl? Who acts in full awareness when eating, drinking, consuming food, and tasting? Who acts in full awareness when defecating and urinating? who acts in full awareness when walking, standing, sitting, falling asleep, waking up, talking, and keeping silent. So uh, it's kind of broad, <laughs> includes um, all activities, both pleasant, perhaps, and unpleasant of the, um, of the uh, moving around our day and all the things that we do. and connecting with the body. They're all about um, being in full awareness of our body as we do the different things we have to do. And on retreat, we encourage this. We encourage um, when we're brushing our teeth to experience brushing our teeth, which may be like the taste of the toothpaste, the texture in the mouth, the sensations of the brush on the teeth, on the tongue, The next part of the sutra is on the thirty-two parts of the body. So there's reflections on all the different parts of the body, divided up: the, the muscles and the uh, lungs and the blood and the. I'm not going to go into all the detail because um, it goes as far as the spit and the <laughs> the pus, and it's pretty. It gets pretty uh, detailed, but again, it's. Um, it's like connecting with this body as it really is. You know, What is this body? We have like all these ideas about it, but actually coming home to what it is. And then the last meditation is on um, death. And it's, uh, it's also fairly intense. We don't tend to teach it a lot um, about uh, what happens to the body after death. So there's a great breadth in this first foundation of of connecting with the body, understanding the body. He really wanted us to get this. He really wanted us to experience the body. And I find that over the years of practice, this understanding of how we become an embodied being it's um, the the understanding can continue to deepen. It's it's really vast. So even the experienced meditators in this retreat who've meditated for many years, um, we can still continue this process of dropping into the body, being embodied, experiencing what it means to be a human through the body. So sometimes spirituality, I think, is misunderstood as um, transcending the body. This is rather deep in Western culture, not only Western culture, even in the time of the Buddha, there were um, lots of ascetic practices that were undertaken that were quite um, harsh on the body. You know, never lying down to sleep or um, almost starving oneself to death, eating very, very little. Uh, I'm not even sure what some of the other ones were, but they were pretty. It was, it, the, the goal was like, can I transcend this body? And the Buddha tried all these um, techniques and figured out that that wasn't the way to do it. That didn't work. In fact, his practice, you could say, it deepened when he started to eat and nourish himself and take care of his body. So this, this belief that, that somehow we're going to find freedom by transcending the body, um, it doesn't tend to lead to positive results. It tends to lead to disconnection and maybe the tendency to abuse our bodies, abuses earth. I think it's related. I think our inability to, um, to be fully embodied is reflected in how we treat this earth. So one of the beautiful things about meditation is that we can start cultivating a relationship with our bodies. We can start to connect through life to connect to life through a deep connection with being embodied. These bodies are our temple this time around. And we receive life through this sensitive beingness that we call our body. This is how we receive life. This is how we're connected to life. The five traditional senses are all through the body the seeing, the hearing, the tactile, the smelling, the tasting. And this is how we receive life. This is how we connect with life. So what do we mean when we talk about connecting with the body or being embodied? In meditation, we talk about bare attention. Michelle talked about this a little bit last night. And this is about connecting with our sensory experience um, as it is. So it's a little bit about understanding the difference between connecting with our sensory experience and thinking about it. We tend to think about our experience more than actually experiencing it. It's a deep habit of mind. And so we start to just explore the difference. So for example, with the breath, when we first are with the breath, we may have a tendency more to think about the breath. And so we explore what it means to connect with the breath. What is breath? Curiosity, what is breathing? So the experience of the breath might be heat, or like if we're with the nostrils, heat or coolness, or movement, or tingling. Or if we're with the breath at the abdomen, the experience of breathing might be expansion, contraction, pressure smoothness, roughness, earth element, water element, air element. So it involves great intimacy with what it means to have a body. That's what we're developing actually is great intimacy with our human body or with ourselves. And this intimacy is very fresh bare um, bear attention is very fresh. So an example with hearing. Um, again, we, we start to see the difference between the actual pure physical vibrational experience of hearing and thoughts about hearing. There's this quote from Suzuki Roshi that I like a lot. He's so much fun. Um, There's a story that one day some psychiatrist was asking him these questions about consciousness, and Suzuki Roshi says, I don't know anything about consciousness. I'm just trying to teach my students to hear the birds sing. We're just trying to learn to hear the birds sing with, uh, with that level of bare attention, unremediated by all the thoughts about the birds singing. But we'll, we'll do both. It's not to make it um, wrong if we think about the birds singing, but we start to understand the difference. Or walking meditation. So what what does it mean to connect with the body as we're walking? So on one level, we have the idea that I lift my leg, and I move it, and my foot touches the earth. So that's, that's thinking about walking, right? So what's the actual experience? So when we lift the leg, we may feel um, coolness in the foot or tingling. And then when we, uh, when we lift the foot and then when we lift the leg, we may feel heaviness. And then when we put it down, we may feel pressure, change in temperature, movement. That's what we mean by bear attention. So, as I said, thoughts about the experience aren't bad. They're actually a way we try to make the world manageable and safe. It's our security. Our security is thinking about the world and um, making it into something known. And it's not bad. We humans need this and sometimes it's useful. Sometimes it's useful to know what a foot is and how it works and how you put your shoe on and all of that. And in meditation, we experiment with dropping into um, this connection with our experience that isn't um, made separate by the thoughts. That isn't, um, the thoughts are the disconnection or disconnect us from the experience. So we're learning how to trust this dropping into experience just as it is. And we see from this perspective, um, there's very much a freshness and an aliveness to our experience. So the thought about a breath, for example, is stale. It's it's an old experience. The thought about a breath is based on um, all the other breaths we've had. (laughs) So it's old. It's stale. But the actual experience of a breath is very alive. It's fresh. It's new. So this learning to connect directly is actually learning aliveness. And it's this connection that we, 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 we all crave this, because it feels like coming home. It's coming home. There's a poem by Rilke, he says, Ah, not to be cut off, not through the slightest partition shut out from the law of the stars. The inner, what is it? If not intensified sky hurled through with birds and deep with the winds of homecoming. Deep with the winds of homecoming. There was, I had this experience on retreat last year. I was um, sitting out west uh, up on a hill, and uh, one day I was sitting outside and I heard this sound. And um, I thought, oh, so there was hearing the sound and then, oh, that's a cow. That's nice, I like cows, you know, cows mooing. That's a nice thing, you know, to have on my retreat. <laughs> then I heard the sound again. And I was like, oh, that's not a cow. That's a chainsaw. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like chainsaws. <laughs> I don't want them cutting down the forest around here. And I was really curious about this ex- experience. It was so interesting because what really happened was just this vibration of hearing, right? And I so desperately wanted to know what kind of world to create. The thoughts wanted to make it secure by knowing what kind of world this was ha- that was happening. And it really didn't matter because it was way down the hill. And I didn't need to know if it was a cow or um, a chainsaw. So in a way, it's like we kill the experience by wanting to um, uh, control it. I do think eventually, I went down there eventually because I was going for a walk and I actually think it was a chainsaw, but it was was an interesting experience. So that not knowing, that being willing to not know and just be with our um, bare experience, it takes this willingness to trust. And I think it actually takes faith in our practice. It takes faith that We can live life without defensiveness. It takes faith that we can rest in our experience and that it will be okay. It takes trust. It takes time to actually build that kind of trust. It's like trust that we can um, more and more relax into experience rather than try to control it So let's talk about other experiences of the body that we started to talk about this morning, um, experiences of pain and pleasure in the body. We can learn everything that we need to know about the practice by how we connect with painful and pleasurable feelings in the body. We can learn it all. And so we learn to connect to these bodies with the full range of human experience of pleasure and pain. So we'll talk first with about pain. Uh, it's um, maybe more prevalent for some of you at the moment, sitting all day, walking all day. We tend to, at a certain point, start to experience some pain in the body. In our usual uh, daily lives where we move around a lot, we often make a lot of adjustments in the body that uh, avoid pain. And then when we come and we sit still, it's not unusual that um, we start to have pain perhaps in places where we tend to put our um, tension or just uh, the pain that comes from sitting in a position without moving. The Buddha talked about a lot about working with old age, sickness, and death, with which is another way of um, talking about working with pain. All these experiences of life that we can't avoid. It would be nice if we could avoid painful experiences of body, but nobody gets through this life without that. Now our usual attitude is, how can we avoid the pain? Right? How can we get rid of it? How can we? Um, not have to experience it. It's interesting because with that attitude we really abandon ourselves when there's pain. It's like we check out, we're gone. It's like we're only a fair-weather friend to ourselves. With meditation we learn how to go beyond being just a fair-weather friend to ourselves but actually a friend to ourselves under. Any conditions of course this attitude is encouraged by our culture. When I was young I remember I um, I used to uh, every night like this is this is um, a little obsessive <laughs> every night I used to like review my my body, and like if there was any health problem that I seemed to be having, I would think it okay. It was like I would have to make it okay before I would go to sleep. It's like I couldn't uh, tolerate the idea of having a body that are, are having a health problem that might be like unresolvable. So that's like carrying it to an extreme. One time I saw a, a commercial on TV, the tagline was. How much tolerance do I have for pain? Zero tolerance. <laughs> Say no to pain. <laughs> mm, I was a little worried about that person. <laughs> Zero tolerance for pain. Wow. It solves medicine, which was the obju- obviously the idea. But it doesn't solve our conundrum of how do we stay connected in life with a body in pain or with painful experiences of any kind? So we learn about it in the body, but it it, um, transfers to how do we stay connected with painful emotions or painful thoughts. So how do we find peace in a body that will hurt at times We even have kind of a cultural attitude that if, that if we are in pain or, that, um, or we are sick, that somehow there's something wrong, that it shouldn't be that way. And the Buddha said, no, that's not true, that, that this is part of being human, that the body does get sick. It does get old. It does hurt sometimes. So we don't have to blame ourselves. There's almost a way like we blame ourselves if we are sick or if our body has limitations. That's just part of dukkha, part of the suffering of being human. So sickness, illness, old age, pain, they're all great teachers. Sometimes they're very harsh teachers. Sometimes they're a little bit like one of those Zen masters that whacks you if you, if you start to uh, nod, out, nod off the least but they can teach us everything we need to know. They teach us to pay attention. Another Suzuki quote. On the fourth day of a Seishin, this is from To Shine One Corner of the World by David Chadwick. On the fourth day of a Seishin, just as we sat with our painful legs, aching backs, hopes and doubts about whether it was worth it, Suzuki Roshi began his talk by saying slowly, the problems you are now experiencing will go away, we were sure he was going to say. will continue for the rest of your life, he concluded. (laughs) (laughs) The way he said it, we all laughed. (laughs) Now, Perhaps to some people, this would sound rather depressing, but it's actually, um, it's good news because it means that we can um, uh, give up getting rid of pain as our strategy, a a hopeless strategy. Obviously, if you have a headache, take an aspirin, but um, if our strategy is to get rid of pain, uh, we're gonna find some problems with it. I was talking with a yogi today, um, somebody who's worked a lot with pain and tried many different ways to try to deal with it. And he said to me, I'm beginning to give up hope. And that was good. That meant that um, all that energy that we put into trying to find a way to get rid of pain, we can actually put into um, acceptance and learning how to live with it. Now, again, it's quite fine to, you know, do medically what you can, right, obviously. But even when we do the best we can, we still have times when the body's in pain. I'm beginning to give up hope means I'm starting to look in the right place. So the right place is to look at how we're relating to pain in the body. So the Buddha said, and most of us find it quite obvious, that yes, there's going to be some pain in having a human body. That we can't always take care of. But how we relate to it, that extra suffering that comes from our aversion and our disconnection from it and our wanting to get rid of it, all of that, that's the pain that we can do something about. And if we Practice deeply, we see that that's the place where the suffering is, the sufferings and the disconnection, the wanting it to go away. So we get interested, we get interested in understanding directly, experientially, what is pain and what's the relationship to pain and where's the freedom So we get interested. Um, we've talked a number of times about this retreat in Burma. Uh, one year when I was on retreat there, um, Saidu Lakana gave uh, a talks every few nights. And um, he gave two talks that were about an hour and a quarter each. And these two talks were on the pain in the buttocks when we sit. So you would maybe think at first, well, what can we say about, how can we talk for two and a half hours about the pain in when We Sit? But he could do it. Obviously, he was very, very interested in this experience. So he talked about the level of the elements, what we you know, feel, the hardness, um, and, and then the mind and how it rea- reacts and relates to this experience. Sometimes I think he went on that long so that we'd have more pain in our buttocks, (laughs) so that we would understand more what he was talking about. (laughs) I'm always fascinated by his Dharma talks because of how um, detailed they are. The last time I was there, he gave, wow, I think it was like six Dharma talks on um, half of one step. I mean, really, really into a lot of detail. Really interested. So, so what is pain? You know, we have ideas. So let's say, well, like right now, my leg's asleep. <laughs> so we could, so I could have this idea, right? My leg's asleep, and I have an idea what it feels like to have my leg asleep, and. Um, that's stale, that's, that's old, right? So what does it feel like? Well, there's aching and pulling, there's throbbing. It's a cool feeling, it's cool. And, and the <coughs> aching and pulling, it, I, it, I feel it and then it goes away and then I feel it and it goes away. And there's also this kind of vibrational tingling feeling so we so we go right into it. What's the experience, right? And then how does it change? So we have such an idea like my legs asleep, and like that, that's just one feeling, right? But when I go into it, I see oh, it, like like that feeling of pulling and stabbing. It actually comes and goes, comes and goes, comes and goes. It's changing. So we experience it on the elemental level again. That level that's not about thinking, but actually experiencing. And then we could see um, when there's pain, then we can also notice the thoughts, right? There will be lots of thoughts. There will often be thoughts. Like I've been having these thoughts like, When can I switch my legs, and how can I keep having the talk, (laughs) doing the talk, without being too obvious that I have to take this time to switch my legs? (laughs) I mean, that's a pretty—that's a pretty minor uh, level of of thoughts about a pain, right? Because um, usually they're they're much more fear-based, right? So we have a pain, and um, we can really go quite wild in our thoughts about it. I remember on one of my first retreats here, I had this pain in my side. And when I wasn't mindful, I was like, I would go all the way to having ovarian cancer, you know, just by like a stitch in my side. It's like the mind can really get quite carried away. So also being aware of the thoughts and knowing that they're just thoughts, right? I think I'm going to switch my leg. <laughs> <laughs> so, so we connect very um, directly with the experience and, and, and see how it changes. And then we also look at how are we relating to this experience, or what is the attitude or relationship of the mind with this experience. So is there an ability to be with it as it is, to accept it as it is, or is there aversion, reactivity in the mind? And we don't make it, like we don't like, try to accept something. You can't try to accept something, right? That's like so forceful. But we can be curious to see when we connect directly, if there are moments of, accept- of accepting, if it happens. And then, so there may be like a split second or one second or maybe two where it's like, oh, okay, it's just a headache. is just stabbing, feeling, you know. And then um, what we'll see is the mind will go, no, go away. I don't want it, you know. And so then we'll be aware of that, that that's our experience in the moment. is aversion. We want it to go away. And then we can go back to the to the level of sensation, and maybe there'll be another second when it's okay, or two. And so we explore, like, what's our experience in those moments, we can accept it, and then what's our experience in those moments when we want it to go away? It's like we get curious in that, in that um, exploration. And so we try to be honest about what's going on. Like I said, so it's not like pretending it's okay, or uh, those are all ideas, right? It's about what's really happening and what can we learn from it? Where's the suffering? and then when we're doing this exploration at a certain point we will get tired of it (laughs) our minds will start going no i don't like this and and the reactivity will get really strong and then if that happens then it's like then it's time to refresh the mind then it's time to um, learn how to anchor out of the pain because this is a great thing to learn too so we're interested in exploring and understanding pain but we're also interested in learning how to do that in a balanced way that we don't become consumed by pain so it's like how can we also anchor our attention somewhere else there's many other things going on right when it's painful we get like tunnel vision sometimes and that's the only thing that's going on well there's also the breath there's also hearing there's also the buttocks on the cushion so we learn how to um and if we, if we find that pain really takes us on a roller coaster ride, takes us away, our first uh, lessons might be in how to anchor out of it. That's skillful. That's not avoidance. That's balance. So, so we're checking it out for ourselves. We're learning. You know, we can tell you certain things up here, but we're actually sitting and learning for ourselves. And that's the kind of um, truth that actually uh, teaches us. That's the uh, experiential way to freedom. But life isn't only pain, right? So there's also um, neutral and pleasant experiences of the body. So we also learn how to relate to these. And we learn how to receive these experiences also with a certain sense of balance. One of the beauties of meditation is that it really opens up our senses, or helps that connecting over and over with our sense experience, Um, it, it strengthens our connection with life, with the life that we're receiving. Uh, so for example, let's say a mouthful of rice. If we're not paying a lot of attention, we're just chewing, we might have a vague idea what a mouthful of rice tastes like. We might connect just a teeny bit, swallow it, it's gone. Or maybe in our daily lives, we might eat it so fast we don't actually even taste it. It just could have been cardboard. It just you know goes through. So on retreat, we sit and we have um, a mouthful of rice and we can chew it and we can taste what's the direct experience of eating rice. And the direct experience of a mouthful of rice is that actually the flavor changes. It changes from the beginning to the end of the mouthful. It's a very rich experience. So on retreat, we, um, because we're here more, so there's more moments of mindfulness in that chewing that mouthful of rice, um, we experience it more fully. So this happens with um, all of our senses or can happen with all of our senses in meditating. So sounds become, become uh, clearer, sharper, or colors brighter. It's because we're present more. We're connecting more. We're receiving life more through being present. I found a story um, in a book somebody gave me called The Second Half of Life. And there's a story in here from another book called What's Worth Knowing. And it's an anthology of individuals of interviews with individuals from 70 to 90 plus years old. So one um, woman, 86 years old, says, one morning I was sitting at my kitchen table staring into space. All of a sudden, a sunbeam crossed my kitchen table and lit up my crystal salt, salt shaker. There were all kinds of colors and sparkles. It was one of the most beautiful sights I'd ever seen. But you know, that very same salt shaker had been on that kitchen table for over 50 years. Surely there must have been other mornings when the sun crossed the table like that, but I was just too busy getting things done. I wondered what else I'd missed. I realized this was it. This was grace. It's like she saw it. She saw it for the first time. The sparkles, the sunlight, connecting. Tignat Han talks about um, the happiness of a non toothache, which I also like a lot. <laughs> It's like we, as we can connect with these bodies, we can uh, learn to appreciate um, the non-toothaches, how well they function. Again, when we're not consumed by the pain or the pleasure, we can just invo- enjoy the neutrality of this body, a non-toothache. So again, with with pleasant with pleasant experiences, so we learn how to connect with them, um, the pleasant experiences of the body, of the of the um, senses. We learn how to connect with them directly again on this elemental level. And again, we notice how they change. Because they do. That's the experience of life on an elemental level is that it's changing continually. And then we again also notice how we're relating. Because we also have deep conditioning around pleasant experiences. And that's that deep conditioning to want to hold on, to want to keep it. So when we're not mindful of, um, of pleasant experiences, and the fact that they change, there'll be that grasping or that tension or suffering of holding on. So we get interested again in, in, in uh, meditation. If there's a pleasant experience of body, we can notice that experience and then we can notice, is there holding on? And again, go back and forth between those experiences. So for example, one sitting, we may experience a deep relaxation of the body. It feels great. We're like, finally, I got it, right? Oh, nice. And then we come in the hall the next time, and the body's agitated and restless. It's like, where are we attached, you know? When that, there's that deep relaxation of body, it's great, we can enjoy it. But is there, is there attachment? Because if there is, we'll suffer when it changes. So we get interested in that, we explore it. Is there a way that we can enjoy that deep, relaxed sitting, knowing that it'll change? Now that's a new one, putting those two together. One more uh, Suzuki quote, he says, enlightenment is letting go of this moment and flowing into the next one. So actually, we're learning. We're learning flexibility. We're learning. We're learning the mind that doesn't get caught. We can learn all of this by the body: pain, pleasant, painful, pleasant, neutral. Letting go of this moment and flowing into the next. So then, sickness obviously can teach us a lot about. Um, Attachment to health, acceptance of the body as it is. There's a quote that I um, found recently that I like a lot. It was, I think, anonymous. It's, um, health is merely the slowest possible rate at which one can die. <laughs> what, I like, <laughs> what I like about it is, um, you know, we can get really attached to health. And um, it's great when we have it, you know. It's great to enjoy health when we have it, but we better not put all our dollars in that bank account, um, just given the way the human body is, right? So that quote kind of helps a little with the with the attachment, right, to health. We can learn so much when we're ill, whether it's it's having a cold or or. Um, a chronic illness or a terminal illness. But even just practicing with a cold can be really interesting. So when we get sick, what happens? Do we resist it? Um, do we disconnect? Do we feel like something's wrong? Do we want it to go away? Or are we able to be with that experience? So just a cold is like a great, um, a great trial run (laughs) for uh, old age or um, other uh, illnesses that might be more challenging. I have one of these uh, bodies that um, is rather sensitive. And uh, over the years, I've had different health challenges, mostly related to having a very sensitive body in a toxic and overstimulated world, something like that. And they've taught me so much about both attachment and aversion and about um, acceptance, acceptance of things as they are. I went through a period um, a number of years ago where I had, uh, I would have days where I felt um, you know, lots of fatigue, other things not so well. And then I'd have days where I'd feel fairly normal and at first, I really went for the roller coaster ride, right when I felt normal. I'd be like, "Oh, great, I'm better. you know there'd be the, all these ideas about how this was going to last and um, and then I'd have a day that I'd feel off and then I'd be in despair, oh my God, what's going to happen to me the rest of my life? I'm going to be an invalid you know all these these uh, catastrophic thoughts and then it'd change again and after a while, I started to really understand kind of the attachment that I had to the days that I felt good and how that conditioned the despair on the days that I didn't feel so good. And so I started working with the attachment on the days that I felt good. So on the days that I felt good, I'd say, yes, I feel good. I enjoy this and it's not going to last. It's like I'd remind myself. And so that then when it changed, it was like, oh, I didn't suffer so much because knowing it wasn't gonna last broke that spell of attachment that caused the suffering when it changed. And then I found that when I wasn't feeling so well, because I had broken that spell, that attachment on the pleasant days, I actually didn't drown so much on the unpleasant days. I'd be like, oh, it's not pleasant. How can I hold this? How uh, large and kind can my awareness be to contain this experience as my life right now? And it's probably going to change. <laughs> <laughs> so in this way, we, we, we develop equanimity. We develop that, that um, precious quality of peace with life as it is. Peace with life in all of its changes. illness, health, pain in the body, all great ways to learn this. So when we develop this equanimity, then we we develop this ability to rest in not knowing, uncertainty, not knowing what this body will do. It's uncertain for all of us, right? At first, we don't like to hear that, right? We don't, we want to know, but when we can go, right into that uncertainty, then it all opens up. That's the truth. Then it's like this mystery, life, this amazing mystery of unfolding. What's next? What's next? What is this body? this mysterious unfolding process we call life. So this, these are our bodies sitting here, these bodies that perhaps ache or perhaps feel pleasant, perhaps neutral. Our teachers, our teachers about pain and pleasure about attachment and aversion, about acceptance, about uncertainty, about freedom. Don't waste the opportunity to learn from your body, from this body, from being embodied. Don't waste the opportunity to receive life at the senses in this body. I'd like to end with just a short poem by Kabir, A Place to Sit. Don't go outside your house to see flowers. My friend, don't bother with that excursion. Inside your body, there are flowers. One flower has a thousand petals. That will do for a place to sit. Sitting there, you will have a glimpse of beauty inside the body and out of it before gardens and after gardens. Let's sit for a minute. In these bodies, these very bodies. Don't go outside your house to see flowers, my friend. Don't bother with that excursion. Inside your body, there are flowers. One flower has a thousand petals. That will do for a place to sit. Sitting there, you will have a glimpse of beauty inside the body and out of it before gardens and after gardens. for your attention to the dhamma and we have just a tad over a half hour for walking meditation and then please feel free to join us for chanting the metta sutra at nine o'clock thank you for listening to learn how you can support the teachers and dharma seed please visit